if I take a step back and I've had to have people tell me this and then I was able to do it, but take a step back and realize how hard it is to build a business that's profitable without any financing. And if you look at all these large companies that have millions and, you know, up to billions of dollars investment that haven't even been profitable They're just not yet. Profitable. So it's... like what it what are you working towards really? You know, like it's almost like a, a, a game almost where I think that building building this, you know, with, with hard work and, and a great team is much more impressive. Or at least that was what I was told and now I actually believe it. How do you move forward with a business when conflict with a business partner changes everything? Hilary France, CEO and co-founder of Brand Assembly, knows all about this and has found a bright path forward. Her company was founded to nurture and elevate brands so that they can reach their highest potential by providing resources, infrastructure, and community through trade shows, co-working spaces, and back office services. Coming up, you'll hear how Hillary's experiences in fashion and helping designers inspired a larger business and resulted in a very organic path to growth thanks to diligent execution. How an investment in an unfamiliar market was one of her biggest mistakes that she ever made. A recent mission of reclaiming her personal life and moving away from the 16-hour days. Why she is considering whether to take investment in the company for the first time and how Brand Assembly refreshed the company culture in the wake of a business partner's departure in the day-to-day. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Today I have Hillary France with me. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I was on your website last night and I'm just so fascinated by brand assembly. How did it come to be? Where did you come up with this idea? So to keep a, uh, a long story short, I had um, been in the fashion industry ever since graduating from college, and I worked retail. So I worked at Kate Spade, and that's really where I got the idea, I mean, you know, my interest in fashion. Um, I had been an art history major and studio arts major, and I just was fascinated by the whole like operations behind a retail store, getting the product there. How do they plan? You know, how do you, you know, account for markdowns? All those things that go into it. So my career just then kind of took off in terms of the fashion industry as an assistant buyer. Then I went into the wholesale side. I worked then at DVF, um, which was just an amazing experience and then ran Rachel Zoe's uh, apparel and accessories business and then went to run a company called Kimberly Obitz. And it was really there where I had the idea because I had worked for really large companies and here was a nicely financed smaller business, but had a lot of the um, overhead, was able to have a lot of the positions for overhead um, on her staff. So that's where I was like, what, what, what about these small designers? What are they doing where they don't have the funds or don't have investments? How are they making it in the world? And that's where I had the idea to leverage the back end, where I had the experience and expertise. Um, we could leverage systems and then also people to really help these designers take that burden off their shoulders and let them focus on really what they want to be doing, which is designing and promoting their brands. Um, 
So that's kind of was the initial premise of Brand Assembly was doing this back office. And then the trade show, the co-working space, which I'm sure we'll all get into, um, kind of stemmed off of that uh, to be kind of a community or resource center for um, designers or people within the fashion industry. What was what was the year when you had the idea? What year was it? So it's 2012 is where I was at this, at this company, Kimberly Ovitz, and then Brand Assembly launched in May of 2013. So what did you do? And once you got the idea, what were the next steps? It was... Did you quit your job immediately or was this uh, a side hustle at first? I was I was kind of lucky because at the time, um, I was about to actually leave Kimberly Ovitz and she decided to put the company on hold. Um, so I... You know, I had a little bit of of a little cushion to you know start the business, um, you know, a couple months, and it just gave me that like, okay, well now I can actually start it. Um, and I, you know, I had that idea and I was mulling it over for for a long time, but I was lucky enough to like have that push um, to really just be able to to start it. And you know, kind of like the first idea was just going, you know, after after clients. And I remember getting my first client, which was a brand called Levere. Um, and then everything started to kind of roll from there. Uh, so yeah, it was it wasn't, I think, as scary as most um, entrepreneurs taking that leap of faith. So. It sounds like everything happened organically, and this was your destiny, just given you know the, your your past experiences. How did you find your first client, though? From from my past lives, um, so Levere was a company that was started by uh, Kate Seaplock, who was the um, fashion director of ShopBop, yeah. and she started this company. So just through the network, I had these people and just always kept in touch of, of knowing what they were doing and knowing that she was launching this business and probably needed help in that back end. Um, so yeah, it's really just kind of the network that that evolved. And how did you charge in the on day one? How did you figure out how to price your service? Says. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I think anybody that has a service-based business, pricing is the hardest thing. Yeah, I definitely can relate. And you have a service-based yeah, business. Exactly. So it's, you know, you want to get those clients. So obviously you make, you know, probably some concessions. But the idea was always to have a percentage of sales so that that part of the business would scale with the company's business. Um, so that, you know, like the big nugget of of what our cost would be would align with when they're shipping their product. Um, so that really was kind of like the pricing. But then, you know, you, you want to have and build your, your client base. And um, obviously, as you grow, that's something that can be a little bit right. more defined. Um, and so as part of building the back end, does that include building a website and managing all of the fulfillment? What does that include? So on a basic level, it's everything that you can think of that goes to logistics and operations and uh, finance. So we help the the designer with all of their orders. So taking the orders and then seeing all the way through to the end consumer. And that is through e-commerce and also on the wholesale level. And then we do day-to-day -day bookkeeping. So paying out invoices, mm -hmm. you know, collecting, you know, payments, um, all of that back and forth. Um, so it's a lot of a lot of tasks oriented. That's that's pretty much daily. Um, but 
I would say the next step for brand assembly in the services, you know, department would be to expand to, you know, development and legal and a lot of those things that people go to third parties for Mm -hmm. and really have a network of those um, types of services. Yeah, I saw the list of uh, capabilities on your website and you can really help with everything. How big is your team? I have a team of 13. 13. How do they do it all? I don't – I have no idea. I have no, <laughs> I, honestly, I'm looking at Sydney right now. Um, I have no idea how we do it all, but I think we're all really passionate about what the mission is for Brand Assembly and kind of the end game. Um, you know, I have – the logistics department, and then I also have our trade show and co-working space, you know, department. Yes, yeah, so um, we try to integrate both of them um, because we. I have a team that has amazing ideas, but it's really funny just to see kind of like the uh, the divide, you know, between exactly like what we do in the trade show day to day versus the logistics um, logistics side. Uh, on day one, did you um, have a team, or how long were you doing it alone for? I, it was alone. it was me um, for I would say about six seven months. So I was arranging the trade shows just in LA at that time, and then doing all the back office. And then I hired my first employee. I would say six months seven months in, um, and it was somebody that I had worked with prior uh, at a previous business. So it was very organic in, in hiring her, and she she started uh, doing the back office with me. Um, so that I could focus a little bit more on growing the trade show and the right. trade show sales. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And what would you say was your biggest learning lesson in the first year? You know, when I look back at the first year, I, I'd say I encountered my biggest learning lessons a couple years into it. Again, I feel like I was very lucky to have a very organic, like natural flow mm-hmm. into the business, um, knowing that I had, you know, the revenue coming in from the trade shows and these clients and almost like endless possibilities and opportunities. Um, so my biggest challenge was a couple years later when we wanted to expand our trade show. Um, our LA had been do- show had been doing amazing. We wanted to uh, launch into a new city and had a couple people give us feedback of what city that should have been. And it was Dallas. So I'd been doing research and going to Dallas, looking at venues, seeing the opportunity. And we launched it. And the first one was decent. Um, And the second one, which we did offsite, a little bit further away from kind of like where the core of the fashion um, district was in Dallas. And we literally had maybe three buyers show up. And it was a really low point um, for me because I had been so used to a lot of successes, you know, through three and a half, four years into the into the business to have something that was really not um, a great performance was was really hard. And to talk to the brands that participated and and maybe even just, you know, seeing how we could work with them going forward and, and really kind of making up for that experience. Why do you think the buyers didn't attend? Um, buyers are really set in their ways. You know, they they want to be in the same place, you know, all the time. And it's like they don't really want to rattle the cage in, in any sense. So 
I think that we could have probably done a lot more in terms of marketing to the buyers and, and saying like, hey, this is a, a venue that's a little bit further. This is what we're going to do to get you there, um, you know, calling a little bit more. But that's obviously as a startup it comes down to resources, right? Right, right. So we're still doing Dallas and I'm actually heading there on Monday. We were able to find a really great partner to help us kind of evolve that that business down there. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Learn, yep. grow, keep oh, going. Yeah. <laughs> why do you think your so your first trade show was in LA, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Why why was that? Why did you not experience that in LA, but you experienced that in Dallas? So in LA, I had um the comfort of already have been arranging a collective of brands prior to launching my business. Um and that's when I launched the back office part. I was like, oh, I'm already arranging this collective of brands. And it was really to show the Rachel Zoe products. I, you know, Rachel Zoe basically is the mayor of LA, right? In fashion. And I was like, it's, it's silly that she's not showing out there. So I rented a room, but didn't want to pay the whole entire, you know, room cost. Mm-hmm. So I asked two of my friends that worked at Tibby and Jay Godfrey to share the room with me. And then it was like another friend, another friend. And so when I took the leap to start the business in the back office, I had already been arranging 18 brands. In this collective. So in LA, um, the district is like four buildings on a corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything's just in that little area. So the building that we do our trade show in has 11 floors of fashion showrooms. And then they have this amazing event space. So I was able to take those 18 brands, put them into this larger space, and then, you know, more brands, more brands. And it, so again, a, a lucky organic, you know, um, kind of flow to that launch as well. Got it. Got it. So in Dallas, you partnered with um, – who did you partner with? So now we're at the Dallas Market Center. Okay. So it's the largest market center in the United States, 6 million square feet of market space. And that crosses home, Western, gift, apparel, and accessories. So we're able to bring kind of the brand assembly a vision to the Dallas Market Center. So again, kind of taking what we did from California mm-hmm. and making just an environment that is very brand assembly in these different market centers. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't uh, know a lot about the, the trade show yeah. <laughs> uh, business, but I can imagine it's um, there are a lot of things to consider. It's, it's very antiquated, um, especially in fashion. I would I would imagine in other industries as well. Um, you know, you, you, you buy space, you have your booth and, you know, you have these uh, quote unquote events, but they're, they're really not forward thinking. Mm-hmm. And our mission really is to take the trade show and make it a little bit more experiential. And our whole idea is not to have these like distinct booth build outs with walls, which can be very, I think, repelling against uh, people that want to just explore and discover. So we have open floor plan, no hard walls. Um, the buyers feel like they can like walk through without feeling like they, they're caged in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think is really important to this day and age in the, in the trade show industry because there's so many brands nowadays to be able to explore and just have that as a, as a organic experience instead of being like, Oh, that's the biggest, most beautiful booth. Right. right. Let me, you know, probably because they have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but now it's like my smallest emerging designer is on the same, you know, playing field as one of my largest contemporary brands. I love that. I yeah. love that. Um, I would imagine there are a ton of up-and-coming designers contacting you. Mm-hmm. Do you take on anyone or do you have criteria? How do you decide who to work with? So it's different by each 
division of my business. So in the trade show business, we have kind of a space restriction, um, you know, in each of these places that we're at. So it's not like we have infinite amount of space to put these with these designers, which helps us make a have a really curated eye to the brands that we're that we're working with. When we have a new emerging designer, it's really we go through a vetting process so that we know that they understand what they're getting into, and not expect that if they're just going to show up, they're going to get. 20 orders. Right. Um, you know, there is work behind it on their end to get known. Um, also for us to understand that they really know the market that's going to be there. Who are they targeting? Do they even know the stores they want to be in? So there really is this kind of vetting educational process when we receive applications from new brands. But we also target brands that we really want to work with as well. So, you know, brands that we find on Instagram, new brands that are like launched on ShopBop and, and Net-A-Porter. We're always keeping an eye out for what's what's out there. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, in terms of building your team, uh, what would you say are some of the learning lessons over the years of hiring, um, managing yeah. people? I know <laughs> personally that's been a challenge for me. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I think that as an entrepreneur, hiring and managing is probably the most difficult thing. And I didn't realize how difficult it would be because, you know, here you are, this is your business Mm -hmm. and you want everybody to have that same um, kind of passion and eagerness and, you know, but they're not invested in it as much as as you are. So that was the hardest thing for me to really understand and adapt to is that, yeah, I'm go, 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 go all the time and I have all ideas, but my employees, I have to learn how to inspire them in their own, you know, methodology of of the day-to-day work. Um, And that really has been kind of my biggest challenge. Hiring, I have never really worked, had to work or uh, with any kind of like recruiters or anything, all of my initial employees either reached out through like social media channels, um, yeah, or were friends, friends of friends, or recommendations. Um, it's only recently, as we're trying to kind of like uh, take that next step into Brand Assembly's evolution, is to really we've you know used Create and Cultivate for for ads as well as as LinkedIn. But I've been so lucky and thankful to be able to have that kind of like organic feel to uh, my team as well and and building that. What tips do you have based on all of your learnings for how to inspire a team? It's tough because I really have everything in my in my mind, right? You know, like my my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, it's all here and all my ideas. Um, so to be able to communicate that and slow down and sit with the team and say, okay, these are the things that we want to do or try to uh, launch in 2019 or 2020. And then it's like, okay, well, how are we going to get there? Um, so it's really, for me, I've had to slow down and and really write those things down instead of just thinking them in my head, start to like dabble and seeing if they would work and then like passing it off. So that's the way that you get everybody, you know, invested in in what you're doing um, is that communication. I agree. I I have experienced the exact same <laughs> thing. You know, you have this idea in your head and then you just start executing with and then you forget because you're so excited to tell everyone what you're doing. Well, yeah, what you're doing, right? <laughs> you know, like so we're looking at doing dabbling in retail, um, maybe doing a series of pop-ups this year. But all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're doing pop-ups, you know, like, all right, 
team go execute you know so there has to be that involvement in that thought process of okay yeah. like why yes, are we doing why? pop-ups um you know why is it important to the core values of brand assembly and you know like then let's have a brainstorm with all, the whole team and who's going to be responsible for what i definitely have to um you know get better at that <laughs> i think we all do <laughs> what are the core values of your of your business and when did you establish them i think that the main core value of brand assembly has always been collaboration um you know everything that we do as far as the trade shows concerned and even our back office is has that collaborative mentality um that openness to the space really you know engages the salespeople and creates this community um of people that really love participating in our events um you know even just the back office to in the co-working spaces, you know, that's all built on this idea of collaboration over competition um, and really, you know, be a community centric business. I love that. I love that. Coming up when you have to have a tough conversation with a co-founder and a surprise. We talked a lot about where you are now, but of mm-hmm. course, as we all know, uh, you didn't always start out that way. Yep. What have been the the bumps along the road, uh, your proudest moments? Talk to me about that. So being being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, I mean, it was, as we, as we spoke about, almost an easy transition for me um, initially, but there have been moments where it's been challenging personally in terms of obviously the hours that you put in and the day-to-day. Um, it's always this mentality, and I'm a very competitive person, um, <laughs> you know, that, okay, like, this is just a rough time right now of, of work, you know, these three months. If I can get through this, then I'm going to have this period where I can, you know, take a step back and and maybe think, you know, and think forward. That's never the case. It's always something else, you know, comes up or like you have to then, you know, keep those hours going. So that has been, I would say the biggest challenge of like those moments where it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have this moment that I breathe. And then all of a sudden, like maybe somebody leaves and I have to fill in, you know, and, and look for people and it's just time consuming. So those are, those are the challenging moments where I've definitely, you know, have felt tired and, I have unlimited energy, but you know, like there are, there are times where I'm like, wow, I was like, this is, this is really hard. I thought that I would have this break, but you know, at this moment I I really don't. So those, those are kind of some, some bumps and bumps in the road. I've been lucky to find someone extremely special in my life who has been able to bring some extra, you know, focus to me outside of my work life, you know, to make sure that I'm taking moments to breathe, uh, you know, taking moments to just take a step back and not go, 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 go all the time. It's hard. My business partner and I always say, you know, even when it feels like, okay, finally, like things seem, you know, steady, it's always something. And the next day it's like, oh my goodness. But, you know, once you're once it's been like seven, eight years, you know, or even after I would say five years, you kind of just get used to it and it's the the nature of the business. Yeah, but I so almost true. feel like it is an addiction sometimes. Like you're, I'm addicted to working because it is working. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say the same that. Way, to be the yeah, same no, way, I, I think I'm addicted like, I mean, to working. It's actually, it's actually our 
fault. We're the ones that yeah. are we know, set the these pace ideas and, set, and setting the pace. Like you know, it might. It's this. Yeah, it's like this addiction to get to that that next level. Um, you know, whether it's a revenue target or rolling out a new initiative or um, you know those kinds of things are the ones that were like. We are setting the tone, right? So um, I think sometimes when I launch new initiatives, my team is like, uh, really? You know, like, and then I do have to kind of bring it back. And I have been better at realizing that that's just like some things are just not possible. And like maybe we need to table that and still have it as something that we're thinking about on a day-to-day basis, but maybe we can execute it next year. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's no longer a priority. Yeah. How do you decide what's enough? When is it enough? When when do you have the time to go on vacation? When <laughs> is it the right time to to stop and slow down? That's a re- I mean it's a really good question. I am learning what that that is. I like I said I'm a very competitive person. I I played um competitive tennis when I was growing up and then even played um professionally before I decided to go to school. So that part of my brain like is so hard to turn Who off. are you competing with, though? Who are your competitors? Yeah, that's so funny. I my thing is like, okay, here's gonna somebody's gonna come up behind me with you know millions of dollars of investments, and you know be able to do and replicate what I'm what I'm doing. I'd say that's probably like my my biggest fear and always has been. Um, but we do so many things, and I've had so many people in my life that really have been complimentary of me and my team in that we are really the essence of what brand assembly is all about, that that might not be something that can be replicable no matter how much investment that a company might have. So that makes me feel really great about the team that I have built and, you know, how excited they are to come to brand assembly and really, you know, portray uh, our vision on a day-to-day basis. And I know you never raised money and we actually never did either. Yeah. What have been some of the challenges with self-funding and, and growing organically? I say the, ch- the biggest challenge for me is knowing the possibilities and not being able to execute them fast enough because of, you know, having to put working capital back into the business. Um, so that's that's my biggest challenge. And also the thing that I get down about the most is like, oh, I really, if I had this, you know, money, we could do this glorious pop up and not really worry about the initial investment in in it um, and have a little bit of a cushion. But so it's you have to be a lot more calculated um, in that sense. Also hires, I would love to be able to take the leap in um, some key hires for brand assembly. But I always fear that if I make if I take that leap, and then the revenue doesn't, you know, come along with that hire, that I take that extremely personally, um, you know, to have to maybe, you know, get rid of that position um, after a certain part of time. So those are my biggest, my biggest fears. Um, But yeah, I mean, growing the business without any funding, it has really made me more educated in the day-to-day finances, um, which I love. So I kind of know um, what is possible because that's how my how my brain works. Yeah, that's how my brain works too. My background is finance before yeah. I started this business. Yep. So um, I definitely think that way and I definitely think that it helps when you aren't funded. You have to think about, okay, where is every dollar being spent? Is that the best use of that that dollar yeah. and how is it going to come back to you in some way, shape or totally. form? So. You know, it's really impressive, you know, like when you build a – and it took me a while to realize this, is that – 
if I take a step back and I've had to have people tell me this and then I was able to do it, but take a step back and realize how hard it is to build a business that's profitable without any financing. And if you look at all these large companies that have millions and, you know, up to billions of dollars investment that haven't even been profitable They're just not yet. Profitable. So it's... like what it what are you working towards really? You know, like it's almost like a, a, a game almost where I think that building building this, you know, with, with hard work and, and a great team is much more impressive. Or at least that was what I was told and now I actually believe it. Uh, yeah, I have a very, very hard time understanding it because the businesses that you hear about are the ones raising, you know, millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. But then if you have access to their financials, they're not profitable. Yeah. They don't know when they're going to be profitable. I think they're even explicit in saying that they have no idea, no idea. when they're going to be profitable, but yet they're worth billions of dollars. Yes. I just can't wrap my head around it. No, I like I said, it's like, it's kind of like a, a game in, in that sense, <laughs> you know, um, but that's also you know, what's pushing, um, you know, kind of just like the, the consumer world as well. There are these very buzzy brands that, you know, have these investments and, you know, are able to play the game of direct to consumer, uh, you know, quite well, but it's, you know, to be determined if that right, will right. be something that's scalable long-term. And, um, so we, we both work a lot. How do you decide when it's time to just take time off? How often do you take vacations? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – I try to do it at least once a year. And um, my capacity to turn off, turn off is like at a two-day limit. Yeah. Um, so that's been a challenge. It's um, – I'm a very transparent person, but I actually look forward to holidays, like bank holidays, because I feel like I can catch up with things. Um that like the rest of the world is offline yeah. that I'm like, okay, like I can yeah. have some clarity on, on, well, on some strategy tip. and things like that. I don't know if that's a good I tip. I, I, probably I, should <laughs> I probably should take them off, but I try to at least do a good vacation once a year. Um, and then I have recently invested in, in going upstate a lot. I've lived in the city for 15 years that to get out of it and have, you know, some clarity, even if I'm working has really been, has really been helpful. Um, to kind of get that more relaxed uh, feeling. Awesome. Where upstate are you going? I'm in Hudson. Ooh. So Hudson's a, um, a city in the Hudson Valley, about two hours north. I've heard of such here. great things. A few people in our office go to Hudson, and they it's, have amazing things. It's to really say. cute. There's a lot of things happening: food yeah. and restaurants, um, hotels, a lot of antique shopping. If you're into antique furniture, how far away is it from the city? Two hours on the Amtrak. Oh. So I'm actually heading there right after this, right Ooh. after this podcast. Yeah, for nice. the weekend before I head to Dallas. Awesome, awesome. Do you go like every other weekend, or it's actually my full time since November? It's my full time house. Oh, yeah. So okay. I would awesome. say my my actual address is I live in Hudson. Um, so I've been working on with with my wonderful assistant Sydney and I'm making a schedule where on like Mondays and Fridays I can really make those my strategy uh, days and maybe work from out of the office and then be in the city on Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. Um so that's that's kind of what I'm working towards. We haven't really been able to execute it uh just yet just because let we've been traveling know. so much. Yeah, let me know how that goes because I've tried to do that for several <laughs> years and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's there, but uh I also have like a little a little crash pad um in the city too so I can stay here, you know, those those weeknights. Yeah, yeah. Up oh. 
totally, totally makes sense. <laughs> um, and actually, something that my business partner and I like to do is a surprise and delight with our guests. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually have a, a surprise for you in your bag. Oh, my gosh. So um, we I love surprises. did some research on you and, and wanted to give you some. Yeah, so go take a look in your bag. You, you can look open at it, it now. now. Yeah, okay, yeah. Awesome. Is it the, the tissue? Uh, yes, it's in the tissue, and then we have some other entrepreneurs to swag for you to use throughout your your entrepreneurista days. Love this. Oh, <laughs> well, obviously you're in the fashion great. industry, so we wanted to Phenomenal. get you a little woman. Uh, I love that a cute shirt Thank that embodies so who you are, which is a phenomenal woman. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. I love a good saying to you, right, Sydney? <laughs> Yeah, so you can Thank wear it you while so you're much. in yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I guess going, going back into um, hard work, uh, would you say there was a moment in time uh, in the past since you've started your business where you just thought, like, I can't do it anymore or I this is a really hard decision. Should I spend my money on this or should I spend my money on that? Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any of those those moments. Definitely. So I have um, two other partners in my business. And I would say two years ago, I went through a really hard time having to um, not work with one of my partners anymore. And that was extremely taxing. It was, you know, going through almost like a divorce, which I've also been through, but going through, um, you know, a work divorce because you had this idea, you know, with, with somebody, um, you know, along the way that doesn't, you know, kind of pan out and, you know, that partnership starts to become toxic. And especially with employees, um, they see that and that environment, you know, then becomes toxic and not inspiring. So I had to do something about it. And I really tried to go through the evolution of, of, of making it work, but knowing that I was the person in the day to day and really kind of the person behind the brand of brand assembly, that this was the best decision that I had to, to make. But it was really taxing. I mean, I had night sweats. I couldn't sleep. I lost, you know, a lot of weight. Um, and that was, that was really hard. I don't talk about it too much. Um, just because it's not important, but. You know, that was like one moment where I was like, is this really worth it? Um, but how far into the business was it? It was it started to kind of be on the fray, I would say about three and a half years into into the business. Um, you know, it was when my partner transitioned to full time on the business, um, instead of just part time. And that's really when things started to to kind of go downhill and in the work environment and and things like that um but you know nothing for respect to you know my business partner we wouldn't have you know had this i wouldn't have had this idea or this opportunity if we didn't collectively have this have this idea um but yeah that was that was really tough can you talk about you know how you parted ways yeah, I mean, it wasn't probably the most <laughs> amicable um, divorce, just like my my personal divorce. Um, but it was it was hard to to tell somebody that they weren't holding up kind of like their end um, of of what the collaboration and the partnership should have been. So it was, you know, like almost like going through counseling to see if this could work mm-hmm. and, and how it could work, but then knowing eventually that it just wasn't going to. Um, and there's still partners in the business, but not, you know, necessarily involved in the day to day. Got it. Got it. So 
now so you'd still you still speak you still communicate you still have a relationship yes yeah but we still it's it's very you know just business here's the numbers and and yeah. that's how it has to be you know and and honestly i think that all of us involved in the business would realize that the brand the business um you know collectively is is in a better place and hopefully we all will benefit in the end yes. how did yeah. you communicate that to the team I think they 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 knew that there were challenges and I think just like in a divorce like your kids almost are sometimes happier that they don't see this tension between their parents anymore yeah. and then actually can then focus on themselves <laughs> and I feel like that was like the same the same thing um you know in, in terms of the business it was like okay like finally this cloud uh is a, a you know um gone and now we can see the sunshine and and really get back to get back to work. Yeah, something again I have a business partner yeah. so I uh hear totally hear what you're saying and I can't <laughs> even imagine going through what you went through but um we did see a business coach we jokingly call our therapist yeah. years ago and she definitely helped us through uh certain things but advice that she had given us is to you know have clear roles and responsibilities exactly like, you're responsible for this i'm responsible for this and come together on xyz things exactly. um, that's we, that's the most important thing you know is is there can't be that crossover and i think that was the challenge is that there is yeah you know and i'm guilty of it too we both wanted to you know weigh in on you know what the other person was doing yeah, yeah. and it just you know, we didn't have to both be in every single meeting. We didn't have to, you know, do th right, these things. Right. So having a work coach, you know, even just after that happened for me personally is, is probably the best, you know, investment that I could have made. I have one as well. And it's, you know, so you it's, your, have one. it's your work therapist. Yeah. yeah. And she got me through that and she's still, and she's still helping me, you know, um, on the day to day. It's important. It's very it's important. important. I think, I think we should probably call her up again. Yeah. <laughs> we, we stopped seeing her, but it's definitely, definitely important. Yeah. Up next, building a co-working space and refreshing company culture, plus a brainstorm. Hey, entrepreneurs! I have a special tip that I can't wait to share with you. I recently discovered Daily Harvest, and if you're anything like me, your days are always hectic and you have no time to eat. What I love about Daily Harvest is that it's always there for me. I can just go into my fridge and eat something really yummy and delicious. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted smoothies, savory bowls, overnight oats, and more, built on fruits and vegetables. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. Choose from more than 50 nourishing options for any time of day. Ready-to-blend smoothies, savory harvest bowls, soups, and more. My personal favorite is the hazelnut and chocolate. It's so delicious, and it tastes like dessert. And check this out. We've got you covered. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code ENTREPRENISTA to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code ENTREPRENISTA for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. So I know you went through a very dramatic shift uh, in your business. How did that impact the co-working space that you share with your clients? 
Yeah, so we have my team um, that's in the space as well as several brands. We have about 30 members um, in our co-working space here in New York. And we also have a co-working space in LA too, but uh, not as big of a brand assembly team out there. And it was it was interesting to see, you know, like just the shift. You know, I felt uh, that I could be a lot more nimble, um, especially which is within that space, you know, adding some, you know, furniture uh, to the space and kind of reworking um, kind of the the space allocation of our team and of of the new members and things like that. And just being able to have, um, you know, even just the collaboration between brand assembly employees, as well as our, our coworkers, um, you know, to do more events, to bring um, things to the table that really enhance that community. Um, you know, I think that Christmas we we actually did a roller disco Ooh, in fun. in our in our space, and these are things that like I always you know wanted to do, and and their team enhancers, but also being able to involve the community. Like I just come from a place of like I I really just want to create a place that, and this is in business with my team, but also for the events that we do and in the co-working space. If I want to create a place to have fun, then, you know, I want these people to have, have some fun too and not, not be so serious. So I do have a, I do have a fun side. <laughs> we'll, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, how did the co-working space concept come to be? It seems like yeah. an organic uh, evolution of the business, but how did, who decided that? Yeah. So I would say any part of my business is not a new concept. I mean, yeah. I'm just being real. Like the back office has has existed. You know, it just hasn't had a freshness in a very long time. Trade shows exist. They just need to evolve. And co-working, you know, was in existence. You know, WeWorks was already on, on the rise and we launched our co-working space here in New York four years, four years ago. Um, and I saw people in the fashion industry want to be a part of that, mm -hmm. but it just wasn't conducive to a fashion business. You know, the, the price per square foot was really challenging to have like a nice glorious showroom with your product displayed. Um, and if you wanted that, you'd have to book a conference room, but then buyers are notoriously late. If you wanted to present that, then maybe like a, a tech guy, you know, has it booked after you. And then right. what are you going to do? Your buyer's late and you have no no place to show them. So it really was hearing some of my my friends that were working in, in different types of co-working spaces and their challenges. And I was like, well, I'm going to create a space that solves that problem where we can show brands in almost like a showroom environment. Again, that idea of leveraging resources, of having people all in one place so that buyers, you know, have the consistent, a consistent, you know, space to go to. Um, so that was kind of that, that evolution of the thought process. If you are a brand in your co-working space, are you also, do you also have to participate in the trade shows and also hire you to do the back end or are they all kind of? They all operate individually, you know, like kind of all a la carte. And we do have incentives for people to do more things. Um, you know, if they do our trade show and, and bring on back office or vice versa, or they're a member in our co-working space, so paying us, you know, monthly rents and still want to do our, our trade shows, you know, there's obviously some some incentives there. Um, so it would be great to come up with like a comprehensive price, you know, structure. And I think that's something that we're working towards. Um that people can see the value. It's like, oh, if I just pay the subscription of you know X amount of dollars a month, I'm getting all of this stuff. Um, but it's really about figuring out 
pricing, as you know, as yeah. we mentioned, is the really hardest you know thing to do um, because you could be too high, or you, you know, you definitely don't want to be too low. Right, um, right. And so that's really what I think is in the future is really coming up with some kind of subscription price to for everybody to participate in everything. You've built a wonderful business. Thanks. What's next? <laughs> I know you probably have a lot yeah. of things brewing. What's next? What's next is, you know, we pushed out two new trade show cities in the last two years, which is New York and, and Dallas. And we have our two co-working spaces, um, which we really want to focus on enhancing membership just outside a brand, but people within the fashion community. And, you know, freelancing is obviously such a, a big part of the fashion community nowadays because there's so many smaller brands and no, gone are the days of the theories and, you know, the DVFs of the worlds where it was just these big massive brands with huge salaries and things like that. So the people that had those huge salaries have to be a little bit more, you know, on a, on a consulting basis. So really going after that freelance community within the, in, within the industry, as well as other people that can collaborate with brands, graphic designers, mm -hmm. photographers, mm -hmm. stylists, um, wannabe, you know, um, bloggers or content creators and, and having them all in one space. So that's kind of like the goal for the evolution of the co-working space. I had mentioned pop-ups earlier. So incorporating retail um, and being kind of the mothership for these emerging designers to get them out there into the world, um, you know, whether that's an aggregator or just kind of, you know, a, a pass-through in terms of direct-to-consumer and also a pop-up. And then um, in an ideal world, I would love to um, you know, have some kind of educational component. We do a lot of talks and panels. And um, our first one was in LA three years ago with with amazing women, Jen Gotch and JC Dupree and Claire Vivier. And we've really evolved that. Um, we do about once every three months, we have an amazing panel either in LA or here in New York. And so taking that content and doing something with it, uh, whether that's, you know, creating masterclasses um, or online courses, that's kind of like where my head goes next. So those are, I'd say, like the most tangible things that we could probably execute um, in the in the next year, year and a half. And then is there any current business challenge that um, you would want to brainstorm together. Uh, typically, we'll put 60 seconds on the clock and I will just spit out some ideas that come to me and then we'll <laughs> we'll talk about it. So is there oh anything gosh, you'd want pressure, to rapid fire. brainstorm together? I mean, I'm learning this like content world, okay. you know, like the the education point of view podcasts or masterclass, you know, we create great content, but I definitely need brainstorm partner on how to get that content out to the world, um, you know, and that's that's not my expertise. I'm an executor, um, and the whole digital space world is like foreign, foreign to me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll um, let's put sixty seconds on the clock, and then I'll just. There's so much share pressure. With you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So um, there's obviously there's a lot you can do. Uh, there's 
with with digital marketing, there's so many components to it now. So of course you have to make really great content. You have to analyze your audience to figure out, you know, what content do they even want to see and where Mm -hmm. do they want to see it? Is it Instagram versus Facebook versus Pinterest? Maybe it's LinkedIn, uh, depending upon who your target demographic is. And you want to create content that they're going to be interested in. And then you have to do it in the formats of the actual social media profile, which is what we help businesses do. Yeah. Uh, But then there's this whole other layer to it now uh, with paid media. So Facebook in Mm -hmm. particular, and now you're seeing it more and more with Instagram, is becoming pay to play. Uh, So you're going to have to put aside a budget to amplify your content to your exact target audience. But it's really great because it's much more cost effective than, you know, putting an ad in a magazine, if that makes sense for you. But there are still a ton of organic opportunities on the platforms. And you just have to be diligent about posting there regularly and posting the right kind of content, which requires you to you know to put together a whole content strategy and, and analyze um, analyze your on and survey your audience yeah and that's the thing I've, I'm easy in on creating content for me it's like okay like now how do I monetize that and that's been my most recent um, kind of struggle do you have someone on the team focused on on that or now we do okay. we have someone that um, I just brought in that uh, you know will hopefully calendarize and yes. strategize and be like okay like if we do this talk, like, is that something now that we can um, apply, you know, monetize it? And is that not maybe through ticket sales, but something else? Yes, yes. And when you say monetize, is it more so like capturing whenever you're speaking somewhere or if your team is hosting a panel, you know, recording that content, posting mm-hmm. it on the platforms? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's all the the production that yes. I want to invest in, but then know that it's working towards, you know, something that's going to be in the top line revenue, hopefully one day. Right, right. Yeah. And it does take time. You have to be patient a lot of a lot of times that there's no direct correlation. Uh, there is a direct correlation um, if you're actually selling something on your website mm-hmm. and the pixels on your site. And we can get into that in a whole yeah. separate conversation. <laughs> I just learned about this the other day, actually. Someone was telling me about Facebook Pixel and I was like, what? What is that? So, yeah, which I don't have. (laughs) I learned that. We can set that up for you. Um, Basically, what it means is you can track specific actions of the people that are seeing your content. Yeah. So very, very useful. It's definitely what we always recommend for businesses to set that up. Uh, But something to to also think about and consider is just like putting a process in place internally to Mm -hmm. be sure, you know, you have your content calendar, you know, it's being posted every other Mm -hmm. every day. uh, And then also um, know what you want to track again. So to tie everything back to the dollar is going to be tricky. But if you see that your followers are growing, you're getting more impressions every month, people are saying great things about you. Look at those things too. Yeah, because that awareness. Because it all ties. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, this was awesome. Do you have any other uh, tips for everyone listening? I would say, I mean, I have have two tips. One would be, you know, for the designers out there, because that's like a huge part of my community is that, um, you know, to be kind of inventive and creative and getting your product out there, but also educate yourself, you know, in, in terms of the finances, we see it every single day. Um, and, you know, we try to do that with our clients is really educate them on, on cash flows and planning. Um, because fashion is a really tough business. It's, you know, it's a cash poor, um, business. You're investing in product before you actually get paid for it. Yes. Um, yes. so to really, un- terms, I'm sure yeah, are very long. to really understand that business and, and be creative, um, you know, and, and just for your general listeners, I mean, it's, I would say, you know, like 
if you're thinking about starting your own business, um, it is about understanding, you know, the implications both personally, um, but also, you know, professionally and, and taking that, that plunge, but also knowing that the rewards and, um, kind of that passion of day to day is something that you would never, you know, take back, even though you go through, go through some challenges. It's like having your own business is, is what keeps me, you know, going on the day to day. Totally agree. Uh, and what does being an entrepreneur mean to you? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's giving back to my team, you know, and, and being humble about where I am with, with the business. Um, I have an amazing team. Um, you know, I've, I've had to learn to be, I am a naturally humble person, but I've also had to learn to be a little bit more self-promoting. But I think that those, you know, core values um, have gotten me to the, to this point. Love that. Love that. And where can everyone find and follow you? So go to brandassembly.com um, and you can learn about all the divisions of our business and, and definitely follow us on Instagram at brandassembly um, and as well as Pinterest. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hillary, for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Thanks for listening. 